And please turn with me in your Bibles now to Acts chapter 16. We return this morning to close this chapter. I think I need to clarify. I'm planning to return one more time, Lord willing, next week. We're going to consider the household baptisms that we have touched upon, but we'll consider them in more in greater detail, Lord willing, next week. But this morning, we are going to really consider the end of this chapter. It's a curious thing that happens here. As you know, Paul and Silas have been imprisoned, and we pick up this morning reading about the next day, and the magistrates say, hey, Paul and Silas, you're free to go. And surprisingly, they refuse. Why? And what's going on here? What's the significance of this refusal? What's its purpose and intention? Well, in order to really answer that question, you kind of have to back up and answer the question, how did Paul and Silas end up in prison in the first place? And then that uh, understanding that helps us to answer that question. Why did they then refuse initially their release? Well, that will be before us this morning, and this text is teaching us how it is that we as God's people live between two worlds, this one and the next. Let's give our careful attention to the reading of God's holy word. We're going to read the entirety of this section, so we'll begin back at verse 16 and read through the end of the chapter. Let's give our careful attention to the word of God. As we were going to the place of prayer... We were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you, in the name of Jesus Christ, to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundation of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailers woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called, the, called for the lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. 
And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced, along with his entire household, that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police, saying, Let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates. And they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them. And they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Amen. This is the word of God. Well, over the last number of weeks, God's word has turned our attention to the sovereign grace of God in the gospel. We have considered how Jesus orchestrated every event to powerfully save Lydia, to powerfully set free that slave girl, and to powerfully convert the Philippian jailer. And in all of these events, we behold the power of the gospel to set free and to save. So what happens after conversion? How is one then to live as a disciple of the Lord Jesus? Lydia was a wealthy businesswoman, and then God opened her heart to pay attention to the gospel, and she believed. So now what? What implications does Lydia's newfound faith have for her life day to day? What about the slave girl? She, too, was powerfully set free. She was freed from her oppression What should she now do with this newfound freedom? Last week, we examined the transforming power of the gospel in the Philippian jailer's heart and life. But as we have just read here, we see that the Philippian jailer is still the Philippian jailer. His life in this world continued. And in some ways, his life remained the same because all of the prisoners stayed when the prison doors were opened and their chains fell off. His life and his position in this prison were preserved. He was powerfully saved. He and his household were baptized. And yet, he's back to work the next day. He had to continue to live his life in this world. The day before, he is a hardened jailer. Now, he is a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what implications does his faith in Christ now have for him as the Philippian jailer. How does his faith impact his life? Well, you can see how these questions are very practical questions for each and every one of us who have faith in Jesus Christ. These are practical questions for everyone who belongs to Christ. Because when you belong to Christ, you suddenly have dual citizenship. We, are call, we were called into worship this morning from Philippians 3.20, but our citizenship is in heaven. 
and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Similarly, Paul writes in Ephesians 2 that we are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. When you believe upon Christ, you immediately have a new citizenship, and that citizenship is in heaven. And yet that new heavenly citizenship does not revoke your citizenship here in this earth. Instead, you have a dual citizenship. Here we see how Paul and Silas exercise both of their citizenships to the glory and to the praise of God. We see throughout the text Paul and Silas living as citizens of heaven, and yet we also see them very specifically exercising their rights as Roman citizens. So what we have here in the Word of God is a very practical lesson in terms of what it looks like to live between two worlds. If you belong to Christ, you have this dual citizenship. Your citizenship is indeed in heaven, and yet until Christ returns or until he brings you home, you also have citizenship here. So what does this mean for your life? How can you live as a citizen of this world and of heaven in your current season and station of life? Well, our text today sets before us two ways. Let's begin with the first. First of all, we are to promote the customs of the king. As citizens of heaven, we know that Jesus Christ is king, and we are called to promote the customs of the king. God directed Paul and Silas to Philippi. They came proclaiming the way of salvation. At first they spoke the good news to that group of women and the Lord opened Lydia's heart so that she paid attention to the gospel and believed. And then when Paul and Silas saw the oppression of that slave girl, Paul spoke to that spirit and commanded that spirit in the power of Christ to come out of her and she was immediately set free. But when Paul and Silas were promoting the ways of Christ, they were seized and then brought before the rulers. Do you remember what they were accused of? The slave owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, but they accused Paul and Silas before others in a way that masked their true motives. They said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. And they advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. Though they mask their true motives in this accusation, there is still a sliver of truth in it. Notice how underhanded their accusation was. First of all, they point out that Paul and Silas are Jews. They are mentioning this fact to marginalize them. They want the rulers and the crowds to see these Jews as suspect. But then they accuse Paul and Silas of advocating customs that are not lawful for these Roman citizens to accept or practice. Now, in a very specific sense, that is simply not true. That is not true. But, on the other hand, what Paul and Silas declare could appear to be unlawful. How so? Well, they have come declaring that Jesus Christ is king. And that can very easily be misconstrued as to seeing, seeming to say that Paul and Silas are seeking to overthrow the Roman Empire. 
As we enter into chapter 17, we're going to see they face the very same accusation. Now, this is not true. That's not Paul and Silas's intent. They are declaring that Christ is king, king of kings and lord of lords. But they are not here seeking insurrection. And yet at this time, there is still, we must recognize, a sliver of truth in their uh, accusation. Understood in a certain sense, Paul and Silas are absolutely advocating foreign customs, different customs, customs that come into conflict with the ways of this world. As citizens of heaven, as people who belong to King Jesus, Paul and Silas are unabashedly advancing the ways of their king. And so in a certain sense, Paul and Silas are guilty of promoting foreign customs. What are these customs? What are the ways of King Jesus? What are these foreign customs that are here coming into conflict with the ways of this world? Well, in Acts 16, we can see Paul and Silas promoting many of the customs of their king. First of all, we see that they are promoting service to Christ. Do you remember what the slave girl declared about Paul and Silas day after day? She followed them saying, these men are servants of the Most High God. This she repeated day after day after day. Paul and Silas, with both their words and their deeds, are promoting the customs of their king by promoting a certain devotion to the king. Second, they also promote the way of salvation. That, too, was declared by that evil spirit within the girl. Not only were Paul and Silas preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, but the, the, the evil spirit within the slave girl was saying the same. And so Paul and Silas, as servants of King Jesus, they are promoting the customs of the king. They are promoting the way of Christ, the way of salvation. And there is only one way. And that comes into conflict with the ways of this world. The world wants many ways. They want every way. They don't want the exclusivity of the gospel. But Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Exclusive. I am the only way to the Father. And so when Paul and Silas come promoting the ways of the king, the way of salvation... That very quickly comes into conflict with the ways of this world. Third, in promoting the way of salvation, Paul and Silas also promote, gloriously, they promote the end of idolatry. When King Jesus subdues a person to himself, he sets that person free from those idols that once reigned within the heart. In promoting the end of idolatry, Paul and Silas are promoting the customs of the king. But again, that comes into conflict with this world because when we are dead in our trespasses and sins, when we are blinded by the, the prince of this world, we love all of those idols that rule in our hearts. Fourth, Paul and Silas promote the end of oppression. Jesus when he went into the synagogue in Nazareth, we considered this a couple weeks ago, he read from the scroll of Isaiah, Isaiah 61. And there he announced that he came to set at liberty those who are oppressed. He came to declare liberty to captives. 
And so here are Paul and Silas promoting the ways of King Jesus. And one of the ways of King Jesus is that he is coming to end all oppression. But here we see that that comes into conflict with the ways of this world. Because the slave owners gain from their abuse and their oppression of this slave girl. Fifth, Paul and Silas promote this joy of submission to King Jesus. As those who were once dead in their trespasses and sins, as those who were once slaves to sin, Paul and Silas are now overjoyed to be servants, to be slaves of King Jesus. Paul and Silas now know the joy of having been set free from sin. They now know the joy of once being dead in trespasses and sins, but now being alive to God in Christ. And they know that there is no better state than, than to be a slave of the king, to, be, to belong to King Jesus. And so Paul and Silas are promoting the customs of the king by promoting this joy that is found in submission to Christ. Now, these are just some of the ways that Paul and Silas promoted the customs of the king. Service to Christ, the way of salvation, the end of idolatry, the end of oppression, and that joy that is found in submission to Christ. And we hear each of these things, and we see and we understand that these are wonderful gifts that are given to us graciously by God. So why were the slave owners, the crowds, and the magistrates, why were all of them so opposed to these foreign customs, these customs that came into conflict with the ways of their world? Well, really, we could spend all day exploring the answer to that question. It is manifold, but we could answer it now both broadly and specifically. Broadly, the reason why these are all opposed to the customs of Christ is because of sin. You see, sin's entrance into this world turned everything upside down. In the next chapter here in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 17, Paul and Silas are going to be accused of turning the world upside down, but their accusation, that accusation against them, is itself upside down. That accusation is itself backwards, because Paul and Silas, in the preaching of the gospel, they're not turning the world upside down, they're turning the world right side up again. Sin's entrance into the world it turned everything upside down. And it is only the good news of Jesus Christ that can turn things right side up again. And so broadly speaking, the reason why these people are all opposed to the customs of King Jesus is because of sin. They cannot see that the ways of this world are all backwards or upside down. They cannot see that they are enslaved and separated from their greatest joy in knowing God, and that is why they hate the customs of the king. But then more specifically, we could answer this question by exploring the issue of identity. Because of sin's entrance into this world, the slave owners, the crowd, and the magistrates, all of them, their identity is rooted in this world alone. They see themselves as citizens of earth only. They are Romans. And as Romans, they have imbibed and embraced the customs of this world. They are relatively autonomous, and they love their current way of life. 
In fact, they have been so satisfied by all of the fleeting pleasures of this world that when they hear that Paul and Silas are promoting other customs, they immediately fear what that might mean for their present way of life. When they hear about these customs of Jesus Christ who is king, they fear what these new customs might cost them in terms of their life in this world. And that is because they are blinded by sin. They are so nearsighted due to sin that they can't see that they are actually living in utter poverty. And instead, they cannot see the true riches of eternal life that are found in Christ. They are still upside down. They cannot see that Jesus came to give life and that abundantly. That's exactly what he said. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. The owners, the crowd, the magistrates, they cannot see that they have been blinded by the God of this world who came only to steal and to kill and to destroy. And so when they hear of these other customs, they fear what it might cost them. Because they can't see that they are the ones living in poverty when riches are being offered to them. Well, in seeing the way that Paul and Silas interact with this world, we see what it looks like to live with dual citizenship. This is what it looks like when one is a citizen of heaven while still residing here on earth. Because Paul and Silas belong to King Jesus, they are eager to spend their lives promoting the customs of their king. Because Paul and Silas have had their eyes open to the way that things really are, they cannot help but desire and labor that others in this world would see these things as well. Because they have been captivated by the beauty and the riches of Christ. They are eager to go to those who are still living as beggars in the slums to tell them what is offered to them freely in the gospel. Because they can see that things are actually upside down due to sin, they are eager that others will come to know the grace and power of the gospel to turn things right side up again. Brothers and sisters, God's word gives us the only way to properly understand life in this world. You see, if you know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, it is because of that illuminating work of the Holy Spirit so that you might see things as they really are. So that you might have that blindness removed and so that you might be given spiritual sight so that you can see your utter need before God because of sin, so that you might see and understand the grace and forgiveness that are found in Jesus, so that you might embrace Christ in the gospel for this life and for all eternity. Having your eyes open to the way that things are, the, the, the way things really are, makes you now an ambassador of the Lord Jesus. It now makes your privilege and joy that of promoting the customs of the king. As a recipient of the grace of God, you now know that the world is still upside down due to sin. And you know personally the grace of the one who can turn it right side up again 
And to whom much is given, much is required. As a follower of Christ, you are called to promote these customs of the king. Now one could object and say, yeah, but I'm not an apostle like Paul is here. I'm not an apostle. Am I really called to do these things? Well, Paul's answer and the word of God's answer is yes. Listen to what Paul writes in many places. 1 Corinthians 4.16, I urge you then, be imitators of me. 1 Corinthians 10.31 and following, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Philippians 3.17, brothers, join in imitating me. And Philippians 4.9, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. As citizens of heaven, we are called to promote the customs, the ways of our king. So consider your life in this world. How can you promote the gospel ways of Christ in your life? Here in our text, we see specific circumstances and the way in which Paul and Silas promote the customs of their king, both in their freedom and then in their imprisonment. Each of us here have somewhat different circumstances. What does it look like for you now to be an ambassador for King Jesus? What does it look like for you now to tell this world of the ways of Christ so that they can have their world turned right side up again? As you think about this, be aware that there will be glorious times in which others join with you in your joy. As you live for Christ in this way, there will be Lydia's who powerfully come to know Christ, or slave girls who are suddenly set free, or a Philippian jailer who is converted, and you will share in their joy. But there will also be times when you are opposed by people like the owners, the crowds, and the magistrates. This is simply what comes when you are a citizen of both this world and the world to come. This is simply what comes when you live between two worlds. When you prioritize eternity over the temporary, when you promote the customs of the king, you are going to share in the joy of those who are called out of darkness and into God's marvelous light, and you will be marginalized and rejected by this world. Well, the text does not only teach us to promote the customs of the king, but it also teaches us to do one more thing. So second, the text also teaches us to protect the customs of the kingdom. As you know, Paul and Silas were imprisoned when they promoted the customs of the king. Because the customs of Christ contradict the customs of this world, they were opposed and last week, we considered how God used even that opposition for good to bring about his saving grace to bear in the Philippian jailer's life and to bring the gospel into his home. And as we return to the text this morning, we see that the very next day, the magistrates order that Paul and Silas be released. But surprisingly, they refuse release. That command comes, the magistrates have sent to let you go, therefore come out now and go in peace. What would you expect? 
See ya, we're out of here. But unexpectedly, Paul and Silas refuse. Why? What we have here is a form of civil disobedience. They are refusing an order that has just come from the civil magistrate. It is a clear command. And it is a command that they could have easily obeyed. Notice that obedience to this command would not necessarily require any disobedience or disloyalty to Christ. And yet, for a reason, they are refusing anyways. What's going on here? What is the significance of this event? Well, here we see Paul and Silas exercising their rights as Roman citizens to protect the customs of Christ's kingdom. That is what they're doing here. Notice, first of all, that Paul and Silas are once again powerfully unconcerned for themselves. Paul and Silas are not doing this for their own sake. If Paul and Silas are concerned for themselves, they hear this command and they leave Philippi immediately. But just as we saw last week, Paul and Silas, because of their communion with Christ, they are reflecting Christ and they are unconcerned for themselves. Remember how last week, when the chains fell off and the doors were open, Paul and Silas stayed. Why? Because they were powerfully unconcerned for themselves and sacrificially concerned for the salvation of this jailer. And they beautifully reflect their Savior. Well, here again in our text, they're doing the very same thing. They are right here counting others more significant than themselves. Instead of seeking any sort of self-preservation, Paul and Silas are aiming to protect others. They are aiming to protect the customs of Christ's kingdom. They are doing this out of concern for Lydia out of concern for the slave girl, out of concern for the Philippian jailer, and for, guess what, Lydia's household, and the Philippian jailer's household, and for all of the generations that are to come. As Paul and Silas exercise their rights here as Roman citizens, they are doing so for the sake of the believers that they will leave behind in Philippi. Notice again, they are not doing this for their own sake. They are not doing this so that they can build their own kingdom here on earth. No, they are thinking about these brand new believers that they are leaving behind in Philippi. Paul and Silas say, listen, we've walked with the Lord for a while. And even though this act of civil disobedience could cost us, it is worth it so that these baby believers will have time to grow in their faith in Christ. So that the ways of Christ might be protected in this world. Think about the risk that is involved in this move for Paul and Silas. They have already been condemned beaten and imprisoned illegally. So who's to say when they say this, when they say no, that the magistrates won't simply double down and maybe this time kill them illegally? Paul and Silas are not exercising their rights for themselves. Instead, they are doing so sacrificially for the sake of Christ and his kingdom. This again brings up the issue of identity. 
Earlier, we considered the fact that the owners, the crowds, the magistrates, they were all upset with the customs of Christ because their identity was rooted in this world. Well, we see that the exact opposite is here true for Paul and Silas. The exact opposite is here displayed in their conduct. Why? Because their identity is rooted and fixed in Jesus Christ. These men are living as citizens of heaven. They are, as it were, living in an otherworldly way because they are united to Jesus Christ. How does this happen? Well, Paul and Silas recognize they are self-aware that they were once by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Sin had separated them from God. Sin had made them enemies of God. And they were once on that pathway that would end in an eternal destruction. But God, being rich in mercy because of his eternal and infinite love for them, he made them alive together with Christ. And that event changed everything for Paul and Silas. And so second, notice that Paul and Silas were once citizens of this world. Paul and Silas were once satisfied with all of its riches and ways, but now, through the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, they are citizens of heaven. They are eager to count everything else as loss for the sake of Jesus Christ. And so no longer do Paul and Silas live primarily as citizens of this world, but instead they are living primarily as citizens of heaven. This frees them up to offer up their own lives in this world for the sake of Christ's kingdom. The rest of Paul and Silas's lives are understood through the lens of their identity in Christ. Listen to what Paul writes in Galatians 2. This explains how he lives here in our text and in his life. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by, the fa by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There is a man with his identity completely rooted in Christ. He's saying, I'm dead. I have been crucified with Christ. I don't belong to this world anymore. I belong to my Savior. And it is Christ who is living in me. Don't we see that here in our text? Don't we see Jesus brilliantly shining forth in the life and example of the Apostle Paul? That is why he could say, for me, to live is one thing. To live is Christ. Paul's identity was rooted in Christ. And so when it comes to this interaction with the civil magistrates in Philippi, Paul is unconcerned for himself. And he is sacrificially concerned for his brothers and sisters in the Lord and for the advancement of Christ's kingdom. So not only did Paul and Silas promote the ways of the king, they also lived in a way to protect the customs of that kingdom. 
So we are all called to think about what that might mean for our lives in this world. Again, we see in our text Paul and Silas in unique circumstances, in a certain stage of life, season of life. And here this room represents a great variety in all of these. Parents, are you raising your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, so they will be, as Psalm 127 says, like arrows in the hands of a mighty warrior. That's one way that it looks to, what it looks like to promote the customs of the king and then to protect them. Children, you're at an early stage in your life. You probably hear all the time, your whole life is ahead of you. Well, here we see what it looks like to live with dual citizenship. Are you looking at your life in this world as if it's your own? As if this world is what you want most? Or are you living in light of who Christ is and what he is securing for all of his people? Now I recognize that these are very big questions. But here God's word raises these questions for us to consider. You see, Acts 16 is a picture of how the Lord advances his kingdom from on high. This chapter of God's word, all of the book of Acts, really is a wonderful illustration of our reality today. This is how Christ continues to advance his kingdom in this world. And he is calling us to live as those who have dual citizenship. He is calling us to consider how we might exercise our, ro- our rights as earthly citizens for the sake of Christ's kingdom. When we meditate on the book of Acts, we see how Jesus continues to operate in this world. And we see here in Acts 16 that our Lord and Savior is calling us to promote and to protect his way. And so the final question before us this morning is the question, how? How do we do this? We've answered this already in part. Here in our text, we have Paul and Silas living in a way that makes no sense to the people of this world. To the people in this world, it looks as if Paul and Silas are absolutely wasting their lives. They look upon Paul and Silas and they are spending their time preaching the gospel. They see Paul and Silas willing to be beaten and thrown in prison for the sake of Jesus Christ. And all of this brings great glory to Christ and forces this world to wonder why. Why are Paul and Silas willing to sacrifice and to suffer. The Bible is full of similar examples. Why was Daniel willing to pray publicly? Why are his three friends willing to refuse to obey King Nebuchadnezzar at great cost? Why did Moses choose the reproach of Christ over the treasures of Egypt? Why were the apostles all willing to pour out their lives and to give up their lives For the sake of Christ. Well the answer is Christ. 
The answer is the good news of Jesus Christ. And we need to understand the way that the gospel helps us see life as it really is. You see, through the gospel, Jesus teaches us that our lives in this world were never about this world. Not ultimately. The Bible begins by teaching us that God created the heavens and the earth. Which means heaven is a created place, just as this world is a created place. And this world was created to be a temporary period, or a probationary period that was always aimed to lead to a higher and perfected communion with the living God. The gospel of Jesus Christ helps us to understand that is life as God designed it. But when sin entered this world, sin hid this higher purpose from us and it blinded us to our greatest joy, which is God himself. And so Jesus came into this world to fulfill that probationary period, to take away the sin, the curse that came upon us through sin, and then to re-enter into heaven so that our attention would follow him. So that we would see that this world was never intended to be the end, but that God has so much in store for all of his people. The life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus teach us plainly that our lives in this world were never intended to stop in this world. But as Jesus said, if I go... I will return. I go to prepare a place for you. And it's only when your heart is freed up by the gospel, anticipating that perfect enjoyment of God forever, only when your heart is freed by that reality from the way that it wants to cling to this world, are you then able to live to the glory and praise of Christ, to live as one who has dual citizenship, as one who prioritizes the eternal over the temporary. This is what the gospel of Jesus Christ teaches us. Here in our text, we see Paul and Silas. They see the glory and the joy that awaits them in heaven. And it makes them willing to do anything for Christ. And so they no longer live in light of the way things seem. If we live in the light of the way things seem, this is all we got. One life, make the most of it. Gather up everything you can give. You need to enjoy today because you're not guaranteed tomorrow. That's sadly what this world believes. But the exact opposite is true for those who belong to Christ. The exact opposite is true for those who belong to Christ. This is why Paul could say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Can your heart say that today? 
Can you say, I see what Christ has done for me and all that he has secured for me and it is freeing my heart from this world and making me eager to go tell others as well. Well, this is the way that the Bible continually teaches us to live in this world because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen to how Paul explains this in 1 Corinthians 5. He says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God. A house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Almost there. So, we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. That is what it looks like to live between two worlds. The gospel of Jesus Christ alone <clears throat> removes the blindness that we had over our eyes due to sin and causes us to no longer cling to this world as if this is all we got. We've got to make the most of it. And instead, it lifts our attention to that glorious eternity that awaits us. And so sets us free to live in such a way that our eternal citizenship floods into this world. So may Christ be glorified in us by causing us, by his power and by his grace, to no longer live for ourselves, but for him who for our sake died and was raised. Let's pray together.
Lord God in heaven, how we love you and how we love your word. Lord, we are so very thankful that you know our frame. You know our frame because you were made like us in every way yet without sin. And you have given to us your word so that we might hear it again and again and again, week in and week out, every day in our reading, so that we might be able to look through the lens of your word at reality. Lord, we confess it so often, too frequently, we forget. And we drift, we begin to live again as if this world is about this world. And we forget that glorious inheritance that is kept in heaven for us. Lord, we pray that through our worship each week, through our fellowship together, that we would grow in Christ-likeness and so reflect Jesus Christ in this world. We pray that you would give us the kind of communion that Paul and Silas experienced in the prison cell so that we would be powerfully unconcerned for ourselves and sacrificially concerned for others and for the advancement of your kingdom. We pray that your gospel work would continue in our lives, that you would continue to sanctify us as you promised. So that our heavenly citizenship might overwhelm our earthly citizenship. Lord, we have asked some difficult questions today about what it means to promote your ways in this world, to protect your ways in this world, and we ask that you would give us much wisdom to do these things. But wisdom alone is not enough. We need the kind of hearts that have been set free from this world if we are going to live for the next. And so we pray that you would continue to press your gospel into every nook and cranny of our hearts so that the world will be pressed out. Lord, we are asking what scares us at times and what only you can do. And so we ask that you would do this so that we might bring glory to your name. Do this, Lord God, and increase our joy as we pray this in Christ. Amen. Let's turn back to 